brought to you by Funders Club, where we aim to shed light on the black box of venture capital. As a reminder, Funders Club is an early stage venture capital firm that has invested in over 200 companies over the past four years. As a result of speaking to thousands of founders over the past years, we've seen situations both good and bad. And while most of the times things go well, we've seen misalignment between investors and founders where things don't go as planned. Today, we have three members of our venture team, Jared Engelbert, hey. Pedro Sorrentino, Hello. and myself, Kevin Lee. Guys, thank you so much for listening to our, our podcast. And this is Pedro. just want to say thank you for the feedback on episode one. We know we had some audio issues and hopefully, you know, they're not going to be around uh, anymore. But we got a lot of interesting emails. just want to say, you know, thank you. And uh, if you have feedback for episode two, please feel free to reach out. We're always available. Yeah, and one other thing, hey, Jared here. One other thing we wanted to talk about is uh, the framework that we use when we think about terms that apply to venture deals. We're big believers in the power law here at, at Funders Club, which essentially means that we see startups around us reaching exponential astronomical outcomes. And we want to make sure that founders that are looking to achieve those market-shaking outcomes receive uh, the venture terms uh, and deals that are conducive to reaching those outcomes. And, and that's what we're saying here. I mean, there's a lot of ways to start a company. Some companies don't ever raise venture financing, which we think is also awesome. Um, but if you are going to kind of really shoot for those exponential outcomes with venture financing. We want to make sure that we're trying to make transparent uh, this black box of venture capital and how to achieve those. So to that end, today we're going to be talking about liquidation preferences. I think liquidation preferences is a really interesting part of deal making. It's not often talked about, but it can have a really substantial impact, especially early on in the business's life. So we'll start with the history of liquidation preference and, and why we think it exists at all. And then we'll kind of go into where we see the liquidation preference uh, go well, go badly, uh, and how to build alignment around it. And as we talk about um, everything that Jared just mentioned, one thing to know is that the context we're giving you today is based upon um, what we're seeing in the market today. And as the market changes, we will aspire to um, be as transparent as possible and inform you about these changing environments. Yeah. And then I think an important aspect of like any provision that you will see on, on a term sheet, I think like how we spoke in previous episodes, right? It exists because somewhere someone uh, did not have like an optimal outcome. And then they talk to their lawyers and it's like, I don't want this to happen ever again. <laughs> so, uh, and it could be on the founder side or on the investor side. But uh, I think this one's probably on the investor side. That's a great point, Pedro. So if you think about why liquidation preference exists at all, Right? So a liquidation preference is basically the idea that someone on your cap table will get their money back before someone else. And, and this is uh, being blind to debt or other types of financial instruments that a company might have just for the different equity holders that, that you have. Um, the idea of the liquidation preference is most of the time that a preferred equity holder who comes in later, right? so probably not around at the starting of your company, but uh, is investing after the company has been formed, will receive their money back first, or at least has the option to do so. And so why, do, why would that matter? Why does that, something that comes up? And to Peter's point, you know, who, who might have gotten screwed at some point, <laughs> though, or who, who felt like a schlub? The, I think the important thing to realize is, if I'm an investor, and you've already started your company, you've put in the elbow grease, maybe you even put in some of your own money, if I'm going to put money in later, uh, I expect to get my money back first. Why? Because I want to make sure that I'm not feeding money 
into something that will immediately lose me money and gain you money as the founder. And that, let's think about that for a second, right? So let's say I'm an investor who's coming in late to the game, right? So you've been around for a couple of years. I wanna make sure that you're not considering some outcome where you sell for half the money that I just put into you, but it's still a really good outcome for you, right, as a founder. And to protect myself as an investor, I'm gonna say, hey, I have the option of taking my money back first in an outcome scenario, in a liquidation scenario, before uh, we start to funnel money to the rest of the cap table. And you can think about this in the context of your pitches or when you're talking to investors, because most presumably, again, if you're looking for this, these market-shaking outcomes, you're gonna be pitching your investors on one year, five years, 10 years down the road, right? How we're going to make a really large business. And to that end, uh, the investor wants to insulate themselves from a short, small outcome, right? And go ahead, Bitter. No, it's just gonna say, which associates with what we spoke in the beginning of the show, which is just basically like power law type of outcome. So maybe mm -hmm. we can just go through some examples, right? Totally. Uh, but you know, I think Google is a great example of what is a power law type of return in, in venture. So, which is why also I think your point to venture might not fit for everyone, right? If you are satisfied, for instance, maybe you can make a lot of money as a founder individually selling your company for $20 million, right? We see that happen all the time. But uh, if you're raising venture financing, maybe a $20 million outcome might not be enough to satisfy everyone on the table. I think it's extremely important as a founder to you know really look your investor in the eye, I mean kind of set these terms up front and say, hey, we're both agreeing that we're aiming for these you know hundred times, thousand times x outcomes, and you know putting these liquidation preferences in place is one way to essentially put your money where your mouth is. Correct. Yeah, as as a founder for sure, and and so let's just kind of talk about empirically how we typically see this working in the market. So, really, what we're doing is saying. This is called a non-participating 1x liquidation preference, which is the most common term we see in the market. And the way that this works is, let's say an investor invested $20 million in your business. Again, with a 1x non-participating preferred, and we'll get into what all of those things mean. What that means on the back end is that the investor has the option to take back up to $20 million uh, in an outcome scenario if the, that money is available or they can convert their preferred shares into common equity, which is what you hold as a founder, and share just like everyone else does in whatever the payout to common is. So let's, let's use a few mathematical examples just to walk through this. Let's say there's a $20 million investment, again, and we'll say that the investor now owns 50% of your company. That'd be high, but we'll just we'll use that for simple so math. 40 million post money valuation. 40 million post money valuation. If the company was sold for $20 million, the investor would exercise their liquidation preference to get 1x their money back, right? $20 million. They would not want to convert into common shares where they would own 50% of $20 million and only receive $10 million back. Now, if they use, this, use a different example where the company is sold for $100 million, now the investor has two options. They can either take their money back, the $20 million, or take 50% of the $100 million outcome, which would be $50 million. Confronted with the decision to take $50 million or $20 million, the investor, most likely, <laughs> will opt to convert their preferred equity into common equity and receive the $50 million payout. Right, for, for that 2.5 times cash on cash return. Bingo. 
And then I think that's just true. If this was a lot of math for you, you're listening actually to the podcast, let's even like take a step back, right? And say, you have a preference, right? Within your, your shares and it can participate or it might not participate. So what would be the difference? Yeah, so, so yeah, so we, we talked about, there's kind of three parts of the statement that I made. I said, uh, 1x non-participating preferred equity. So the preferred equity we just explained, well, now let's talk about participating versus non-participating. And, and just, just to be really clear up front, uh, we very, very rarely see a participating preferred equity deal at the, at the early stages of venture capital. Typically, this is something that we're seeing much later in the growth equity stage or um, even in the private equity stage of businesses. So the, again, using that same mathematical example, uh, the $20 million investment to own 50% of the company. And again, let's go back to that $100 million sale. Now, no matter what the outcome is, it's no longer a choice that the investor has to make. In a participating preferred outcome, the investor always gets their money back first and then converts to common. So they own 50% of the business, $100 million sale. First thing that happens, the investor gets $20 million back. Now there's $80 million to distribute to the rest of, uh, rest of the common holders. Of that $80 million, the investor also gets 50%. So now they have uh, the 20 million from their participating preference and the 40 million from, the, from their common ownership. So now in total, they made $60 million and the rest of the company is left with $40 million versus a non-participating outcome where the, that same investor would have only made $50 million. And so there's nothing inherently wrong with the term like participating preferred, but going back to some of the things that we said, uh, a liquidation preference helps um, align, right? Which is making sure that we're playing for big future outcomes. Uh, we don't necessarily in today's market see a value of using participating preferred relative to non-participating preferred. The truth is, after we've kind of navigated this the short-term, near-term outcomes uh, that we can experience as, a, as an investor and founder pair bond, and once we're off to the races growing to this massive company, the closer that we get to massive, the more, uh, like, the more shoulder to shoulder, the more convergence you should start to experience. Yeah. And this will be a common theme as we talk about different terms. After you, again, after you navigate those first couple years, you're starting to really grow, you should start to experience more and more convergence with your investors. So then is it fair to say that when you have like a, a 1x non-participating liquidation preference, like it's all about the percentage of ownership that you have in the company? Correct. And with the company playing that long-term really big outcome. So Correct. technically, right, uh, this is in the quotation marks. So if I, I'm, a, I'm an investor and I know that this business is actually going to uh, provide or hopefully provide a power law type of outcome, uh, I have no risk towards taking a non-participating uh, 1x liquidation preference because it's just going to be so big that at the end of the day, everyone will make money. So just to even like run through another mathematical example of what Jared was saying about why you know it doesn't really necessarily make sense to take a, a preference with participation. So if you use that same example of a VC investing 20 million, owning 50%, and now this time it's a, let's say it's a billion dollar exit, mm -hmm. then with a preference at non-participation, both your, the VC and the founders are making 500 million each, which means you know, they're, they're, they both have 50% of the proceeds. Now, if you look at the preference with participation, with the VC getting that initial investment back, now the VC is getting 510 million and the founder is getting 490 million. So you're talking 51% and 49% difference. Right. And you can see that, like as Jared mentioned, there is a convergence when you are talking about 
extraordinary outcomes. Right. So, that's a great yeah. point, Kevin. And so if you are a founder that's dealing with an investor talking about uh, taking a participating preferred term, the question you should be asking the investor is, what are you trying to de-risk about your future investment in this business? Or is this purely a financial outcome for you? Because if I believe that if an investor believes in like a massive future outcome, again, power law outcome for a business, as Kevin just pointed out mathematically, there's very little difference to be had on a participating versus non-participating preferred. And the point of that preferred equity agreement is really to navigate that early, those early days to make sure that we're aligned on building something big and building something long-term. But then also one can make the argument that like uh, participation uh, preferred makes sense because you know I'm taking a risk on that financing to take you to that next chapter. I'm just playing devil's advocate sure, for sure. defending but, some but the point is, Yeah, the point is, Pedro, is that um, any anything is a negotiated term, right? So depending on how the market's going, depending on the supply and demand for startups, we'll see investors get more or less aggressive about what type of financial terms they feel compelled to take. And that's the nature of being in a capital market, for better or for worse. The, the point that we're trying to make, I think, is that if you're playing for big outcomes as a venture capitalist or as a founder, some of the biggest levers that you can pull don't tend to hover around the idea of a participating versus non-participating preferred, right? In that same example that Kevin just gave, 510 million versus 500 million, if 490, you, yeah. yeah, 490 million, if you just owned another 5% of the company, right? That would be a substantially larger outcome, right? right? Uh, like on an order of magnitude of like 40 versus $10 million difference. And so if you really believe in the company, in my opinion, again, de-risk some of these early bad outcomes that can happen through a liquidation preference, and then try to optimize for big outcomes when the company becomes large. And, and one thing we've seen too is, um, you know, we've seen some investors, for example, um, you know, maybe apply a small multiple, like a multiple on the liquidation preference, but have that be time constrained. So it's within you know a short time period. Therefore, they're still aligned with the founder. Sure. Yeah. I mean, taking taking a step back, Kevin. Right. So again, three parts of liquidate uh, of this preferred term: the idea that the preference exists, uh, participating versus not participating, and then what number multiple exists. Right. right. So we, we so far we've highlighted an example of a one X. What Kevin is, is highlighting is sometimes investors will ask for different multiples on the on the preference. Right. So let's say instead of a 1x non-participating preferred term, an investor asks you for a 2x or a 3x uh, non-participating preferred term. Uh, we especially see these types of terms being asked for in, in international deals. I think, I think we guess it's fair to say it's more common. Uh, it's a different type of way to make an investment. You're really trying to, at that point, play for a guaranteed return. So. Again, let's go back to this example, $20 million investment on one half of the company, and let's say there's a 3x liquidation preference, non-participating. Uh, in that $100 million sale, the, the investor has two options. They can take one half of the $100 million as a common holder, 50 million, or they can take their 3x non-participating preference, which would be 60 million. So in that instance, the investor would actually opt to maintain their liquidation preference and takes the $60 million outcome. And a 3x is a very impressive return in any market, right? Private equity, startups, like you name it. Like If you could do all 3x's, you'd be a very good investor. The problem is it's pretty rare for, for any company to have a big outcome like that. 
And so it's hard to guarantee that all your companies would have it would have a three X like that. And the other thing that can happen is knowing again now put yourself in the shoes of the founder of a company who took a twenty million dollar investment with a three X non participating preferred for the for the founder to make a dollar of money a dollar they have to exceed a $60 million outcome. So one of the issues that we potentially see in alignment when you start to ask for multiples on a non-participating preferred term is that early on in the company, it can start to create some misalignments in how much, or misalignments in the incentive for how much a founder can do to like exceed the high watermark that's set by this term. Again, you have to get past that, like in this example, past a $60 million outcome. Even if it's $55 million, the founder's not going to make a single dollar, which is kind of crazy to think about. But just like what Kevin pointed out, there is a way, and I don't know if you guys would agree with this, but this could be a botna for the founder where, like, let's say you only have that term sheet on the table. You need the $20 million to take you to the next step. Potentially, what you ask is then, look, we're all playing for big outcomes, power law type of outcomes. Why don't we just time the liquidation preference? Mm -hmm. You know, so it's going to be a 2x or a 3x for the next two, two years. years. Yeah. So that's a possible way that a founder could negotiate, right? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. We, we've also seen if the investor, you know, insists on these high liquidation preferences, we've also seen founders kind of counter with negotiating for like a capped participation, um, in which case it helps smooth out an investor's, you know, uh, returns provided that there was an earlier exit. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a little bit more complex math, but as Kevin points out there, we, we haven't really seen big multiples on, on preference in the last four to five years. And so uh, we haven't seen the need for a lot of these kind of other tools that you can pull out of your tool sack to, to help negotiate this. But if you do, if you do hear of this stuff happening, uh, we'd love for you to reach out and we'd love to like, engage further. Really always interested to hear kind of what's happening in the market around us. Yeah, I think that the the stories that we hear, right, like, cause I think none of us were doing venture on the first internet bubble is that like right after the crash, you would see liquidation preferences like, you know, up mm -hmm. until sometimes even a 10x liquidation preference. Right. So people were just very afraid of what was, you know, what was, yeah. not, what was coming. And, and I think if you were to take away one thing from this podcast about liquidation preference and what it means, terms are only as good as the people that use them. And what's most important than anything that you're, we're talking about right now is that you and your investor have alignment on what you're trying to build, how long it's going to take, what a suitable outcome from a return profile is for this business. And if you have that alignment, my opinion is that terms like liquidation preference will fall in the step behind it. Uh, typically, when we see misalignment around a term like liquidation preference, it's indicative of a more core misalignment around the expectations of the founder on the type of business that the founder wants to build versus the type of return profile that the investor is seeking. Ultimately, it's about communication, right? So if you're negotiating these terms with your investors, uh, you should ask them, why are they there? And what's the question behind the question? Right. Uh, and just try to fundamentally understand why is it that they need it? Um, and, so, so again, just to clarify, um, what we've seen in the market, like, you know, a pretty standard, again, is the one times preference non-participating. Um, and you can find this written about, uh, we always mention standard docs, uh, National Venture Capital Association, um, the standard certificate of incorporation has in it a very well-written standard 1x non-participating liquidation preference that we definitely recommend using if you're negotiating an equity deal. Uh, just to clarify, a convertible note, by its very definition, being debt before it converts, will have an, an inherently the behavior of a 1x non-participating liquidation preference. 
Um, so any sort of standard note agreement would, ha would have this baked in as well. Yeah, and I would say that, you know, nothing that we're seeing here is necessarily like set in stone. So there could be situations where it makes sense for you to offer a participating liquidation preference for an investor. Uh, everything is typically adaptable to the situation, the market that you're in, the type of financing that, that you need, the type of investors you're working with. Um, so, yeah, these are just the standards that we see today. They might change tomorrow. Yep. So thanks again. This is the... Uh, ending of the episode two for Transparent VC. As usual, if you have any questions, please feel to reach out to either, any one of us really, uh, Jared, Pedro, or myself. Um, and we're happy to kind of talk through any situations that you may be coming across, um, either as a founder or an investor. Definitely. Thanks guys. Thanks Thank everyone. You.